The pandemic has helped highlight the challenges faced by many in our communities. Even when we finally emerge from COVID, we will still be grappling with climate change, income inequality, homelessness, a crisis in healthcare, and a whole lot more. And for one social entrepreneur, to truly address those challenges requires more than the same old. To build long-term resilience, we need to adopt new economic models, he says. Ones that don't just extract value for the few, but that are regenerative and work for all. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. I'm delighted that my book, also titled In the Business of Change, Profiling Social Entrepreneurs Around the World, is now available in audiobook format as well, with me as your narrator. You can find it wherever you normally buy your books and audiobooks, including Amazon or on our website. On today's podcast, we speak with Jasper Van Brackle, CEO of RSF Social Finance, a financial services organization that provides opportunities for people to align their investing and giving with their values, while connecting social entrepreneurs with diverse forms of capital. In our conversation, Jasper shares how RSF is helping social entrepreneurs during the crisis and how the pandemic can prove an important opportunity for real change. He explains why our current economic model is limited in its capacity and offers an alternative, a model that promotes different ownership structures and a systemic approach to challenges that can foster resilience and long-term impact for all. RSF Social Finance is a financial intermediary. and What we do is we provide lending, impact investing and giving um, services. And uh, basically our our mission is to circulate capital in service of transformation. And that transformation is all around creating a more just, regenerative and compassionate world, which is a quite an an extraordinary way of working with money. We, We live in an economic system or in a reality that is systemically extractive, you know, systemically focused on um, more is always better, is really focused on accumulation of wealth and accumulation of money. And we see it as as our mission not to contribute to accumulation, but to circulate so that the money can move around and do its work in service of, again, creating a more just, regenerative and compassionate world. And we do that very um, practically by providing loans to groundbreaking social enterprises. We do that by um, investing with an impact lens and our philanthropic services really focus around supporting donors who have funds with RSF in their giving journey and also in supporting them as they make grants to um, to not-for-profits and to initiatives um, that really contribute to that more just, regenerative, and compassionate world. Is there something that RSF Finance has been doing to help social entrepreneurs get through this crisis um, and, and thrive and survive? There, there are several ways in which we are um, showing up to support 
social enterprises um, in this particular time. One of them is by providing relief um, in the form of small grants, you know, rapid response grants to mostly nonprofit um, organizations that we work with that weren't able to uh, fundraise anymore and really had some immediate needs for cash. So we were able to free up some funds to do that. And then um, the majority of the relief is in the form of payment deferrals, in the form of um, payment forgiveness, and really um, working with our 100 um, borrowers. It's around 100 um, organizations that we work with to um, to support them in their needs. And our community of investors agreed to lower their return to allow RSF to, um, you know, to have additional funds available so that we can provide the solidarity that's really needed. RSF Social Finance is a not-for-profit organization, but we are not an endowed foundation. So um, we depend to a very large extent on the revenue that we um, that we receive for the services that we provide. So if we want to be and need to be generous, then we need to work with our community in order to be able to do that. And this was a beautiful way in which our community of investors um, showed up at the end of March when this just started, when the COVID um, crisis just started. One also really exciting way in which we were able to show up is um, with a company called All Good. They make um, sunscreen products, um, safe and, and other skincare products. And for the longest time, they had a hand sanitizer in their assortment. And then this moment happened. They're, they're seeing a triple, triple digit growth of their total company in this year because they're able to meet a significant demand with an all natural um, hand sanitizer and they needed working capital. So they knocked on our door twice with only weeks in between it of saying, we would like to expand our, our loan and then we need even more. And we were able to pivot and work with them so that they have the capital to, um, to grow their business and meet the needs. You had mentioned that this crisis is an opportunity for change. And so um, specifically as it, as it relates to the economic models that we've currently adapted, um, in, in society and what we could be doing a little bit better. So I'll let you get into that. What, what is what is lacking with the economic models today? How can we make a difference? How can we really see this crisis as an opportunity to do better? Yeah, that is a really, really great question. And it's not always easy to see the opportunity in the crisis that we're in. There are multiple crises. We're running out of fingers to count them on, on one hand, at least. And... Um, so I also don't want to brush that aside and say this is a great opportunity and only focus on, um, on, on the opportunity. But it is, it's certainly true that this is a question that's very much alive for me and that, that I'm holding. Um, I don't have all the answers yet, but I'm wondering what is possible as a result of the moment that we're in? How can we not only meet this moment, but also bring about some systemic changes, some shifts that um, that are going to, to lead to real change, to lasting change. 
rather than us trying to figure out how we get through this so that we can go back to everything that was before the current crisis. And one of the, the, the main things when I look at our economic system and our financial system that stands out for me is the, the primacy of capital in our economic system and how shareholder value maximization has really dictated um, how decisions have been made and who made the decisions and who benefited from those decisions for many, many decades. Extraction goes back thousands of years and shareholder um, extractive capitalism um, goes back, you know, at least a hundred years, um, if not more. And when I, when I look at what is profoundly wrong with the current economic system, I think we only have to look at the results that it produces. And there certainly are parts of those results that, that, that are positive and that are helpful. There's, there's been a tremendous development over the last decades and over the last 100 years um, that is very positive and that's very supportive. And that has helped many, many people across the globe um, to improve their quality of life. However, what it also produced um, is incredible, um, incredible injustices, incredible systemic extraction, sy systemic extraction of our planet, of our natural resources. Look at climate change. Look at the the the, the enormous damage that we've done to our planet. Um, also look at the, the extractive nature of, um, of the current economic paradigm um, on many, many communities across the globe, not only in the United States, not only in Canada, not only in North America, but across the globe. And these inequalities and these growing inequalities, for instance, have led in the United States to a situation where the average wealth of a white family is 100 times greater than the average wealth of a black family. And the average wealth of a black family is trending towards zero. So that gap is widening. And there, there are many statistics that point towards um, these injustices. And so when I did the analysis and I asked myself, how do we, how do we fix this? Not from a, you know, quick fix uh, perspective, but systemically, what is systemically problematic here? I arrived at um, ownership and governance. Ownership and governance are such a keystone of the current economic system, and they're completely linked. And basically, in 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 every company in Western society, shareholders have the final say over pretty much everything. And they reap the financial benefits of what um, happens with the company. And what really intrigues us at RSF and what intrigues me a lot personally um, is how you can separate those elements and how you can separate out governance from the economic rights or the economic ownership um, in a company so that the steering wheel of a company is in the hands of the stakeholders of the company, the economic stakeholders in the company, of which the shareholders are one, 
but not, they're not the only one. You have the suppliers, you have the, the employees, you have, um, you know, gosh, you could go as far as saying Mother Earth is a stakeholder. You know, she should have a seat at the table. Um, so every company can define its own set of stakeholders um, by looking at its own reality. And if the steering wheel is in the hands of that group of stakeholders, um, then I think we will start to see that people are, are and companies are making different decisions. And with that, we're trying to to model an almost an, an you know some type of indigenous wisdom of creating a circle, you know, a round table of stakeholders who collectively look at the the, the best interest of the company and all of its stakeholders going forward. And the shareholders are one element, but they're not the only one. And then as a shareholder, if you invest in a company, then um, of course there should be some return for that. And the way that these mission first ownership models do that is by paying a dividend and providing um, opportunities to get liquidity, but not by tying um, the governance directly to the economic ownership. So those are separated and there are different ways of doing this. So one way is that you put the ownership in a not-for-profit, in a foundation, um, so that the voting rights sit in a, a in a not-for-profit. Um, or you, what you can also do is um, uh, have one so-called golden share that has all the voting rights in the organization and separate that out from all the other shares that um, that are still a share in the company. They they just do not come with voting rights. So, have you adopted though that uh, sort of new models, new economic models, to the work of RSF or to any of the work of the members of uh, uh, the individuals you work with, the the social entrepreneurs you work with? We're definitely at the beginning of this journey. It's really a paradigm shift. So it's, it's usually a stretch for investors, um, in particular if they're used to being part of a system that incentivizes maximizing profits and maximizing returns for their investors in turn. I have found, though, and, and we have found, our team has found, that when we speak to the individuals, they say, well, this makes total sense. Um, so, But to directly answer your question, where are we on this journey? We've done um, one project uh, with organically grown company in the Pacific Northwest and helped them transition from a traditional ownership um, and governance model to a steward-owned um, mission-first ownership and governance model. That was a huge undertaking and um, it's been incredibly successful. And what that achieved was for the founders who founded this company because they really believed in the mission and they that was their driver. Um, and they have been able to um, generate some liquidity for themselves as they were retiring and they were able to continue to protect the mission of this company going forward and allowing new capital to come in to help fund growth and help um, fund the liquidity that they needed. We're working on a number of other uh, potential uh, transitions to mission-first business ownership uh, programs. I was in a meeting this morning, actually, um, around that topic. There's a lot of interest um, for this, in particular from mission-first um, entrepreneurs and founders hmm. 
who oftentimes, when they think about the next stage of evolution for their company, that either involves that they need to bring in outside investors or it means that they retire, that the question is, do I either sell out or do we make, do we maintain the mission and stay small? Right. And I'm a strong believer in that that should be a false choice. That should not be a, a choice that people would have to make. That either you stay small but mission focused or you sell out and then you can grow, but the mission gets diluted. And this is one way to solve for that. Got it. And so what what do you see sort of in the, the future landscape? Do you have a good, uh, hopeful sense that more will be adopting these different alternative economic models into their own uh, businesses? Do you feel there's a, a big steep road ahead like what what is your what your thoughts about the 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 future potential for some change and some real change i'm sensing a real shift i'm sensing a real shift and that also has to do with how we at rsf social finance look at change and what brings about change and that all evolves around once you know you can't unknow right it's about the consciousness shift and I, I believe that that is ultimately the opportunity that we have um, in the current crisis and, and I think in, in our lifetime to wake up to the things that are, to wake up to um, to the, 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 the systemic issues that we have and the opportunities that we have to bring about real change. So I do sense that there's a real moment to um, uh, to bring about lasting change by converting more and more companies from a traditional extractive um, uh, shareholder return um, only focused model to a stakeholder governance and stakeholder ownership um, model. You know, even for, for more traditional investors, the impact space, so-called impact investing space, is a space that cannot be ignored. And um, is I think everybody is seeing that that is where a lot of consumer preferences are going. A lot of the brands and the organizations and, and companies that um, that the, the consumer of the future wants to be part of are the type of organizations that allow us to be our best selves. They give the example. They are the aspirational forces um, um, in our lives that that help us make changes that we would like to make they're just hard to make and they need a different model of funding and um, so I see I, I, I really see the opportunity that with shifting um, paradigms for many people in um, in the broader society and waking up to what's necessary to um, mitigate climate change to save our home planet and to eradicate these profound injustices that we have in our society, that that will drive many investors to making different decisions. Um, and the second thing I'll say, what makes me hopeful is once other people are in the room, once different people are in the room, different decisions will be made. And there is increasingly a push to make sure that um, the, the, the people in the room, the decision makers, really diversify and that there's a, a real shift, not only 
who are the beneficiaries of decisions and of, of investments, but also who ultimately makes the decision. That's great. That's wonderful. Is there anything else that you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to say? What I've described so far in our conversation is still quite abstract, right? And and I, I hope um, that um, many of the listeners to the podcast um, say, hey, that's interesting. But then many times the follow-up question is, well, how exactly does this work? Right. How exactly do you make this work? What are the legal governance and also financial structures that you need in order to make this work? Right. And for that, we partnered with the Purpose Foundation, and they have been really key in um, researching um, the details of the legal, financial, and governance aspects of all these different models. That has been incredibly um, important because if it, if it isn't for the yeah for for the specific vessels that these ideas can really live live in, then it just you know it's a it's it's nice on a philosophical level, but it will never really land. Exactly. It's one thing to be intellectualize a, a solution and to actually put it into practice. Uh, two very different things, right? Um, any other future plans for um, for RSF Finance specifically in terms of your direction and the the work you'll be doing in the year upcoming, hopefully without COVID bugging you? Hmm. You know, in in terms of future plans for RSF Social Finance, we want to be the lender of choice for social enterprises that are serious about their mission and who really see money as a um, as a way to support their mission rather than being its own mission. And that is that's the way that that we would like to um, to help bring about change, change the role of money. If we look at what role does money really play in our society and how can we shift that from serving accumulation or can it serve the planet? Can it serve um, marginalized societies? Can it can it really serve transformation towards more justice, regeneration and compassion? And we will continuously question assumptions and innovate and, and seek new ways of doing that um, in working with money. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.